the author and the perfecter of our faith. We thank you, Father, that we can gather in that wonderful name, the name above every other name, the name of Jesus. Father, we ask you to bless this night that everything that's said and done will bring you glory and honor. We're so grateful that we can call you Father. And so we want you to have your way tonight. Lead us, guide us, direct us, instruct us by your precious Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask for it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You can go ahead and seat and praise the Lord. Well, once again, we're, oh, glory, I'm on now. But uh, we're, uh, again, looking at the believer's authority and uh, been looking at it for several weeks. I'm going to be looking at it for several more. But I believe it's just such a important topic. And uh, we're going to begin to get into some of the areas of the believer's authority that I think people oftentimes think most about when we begin to talk about authority and believer's authority and that tonight we're going to be talking about how the devil will flee from us and how we have authority over the enemy. We have authority to um, take authority over him and, and the things that he tries to bring about in our lives. Uh, you know, and I, I, we have, the Bible declares that we have authority to cast out devils. But I think, you know, really, when we begin to talk about spiritual warfare, the biggest area that we have to battle is, is in our minds. And for us to recognize that we have the authority to resist the devil, and when we do, he has to flee. He doesn't have a choice. And so our scripture for tonight, or one of the main scriptures, comes from James, the fourth chapter, in the seventh verse, and it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And so I think one of the things that we see here is that there's, there's actually two parts to it. You know, the first is submitting, therefore, to God. The second part is resisting the devil, and he has to flee. You know, and when, when we talk about resisting the devil, I always think we probably get this picture of this big red figure with horns and a pitchfork. Uh, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if it was that obvious? You know, but it isn't. You know, it's the thoughts, it's all those things around about us that he comes and attacks us with, the discouragement, all those things. But you know, the greatest tool that we have in our arsenal to resist the devil is our submission to the Lordship of Jesus. That when we recognize that he is the authority in our life, that we are submitted to him, you know, because generally speaking, um, you know, the Bible talks, we'll look at this a little bit later on, you know, that he roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What we see in that passage is that 
our adversary, the devil, he can't just come in and dominate and control our lives. He, it tells us that he's, he's looking for those that he can have access into their life to bring death and destruction. And so that's why when we begin to talk about submitting to God, that's why that's so important because in doing so, we, we, we close the doors. We, we, we don't give them access. We don't give them the opportunity to come into our lives and, and bring death and destruction. You know, one of my favorite stories, and you've heard it many times, um, I've heard all of my stories many times, but, but it's about Jimmy Rushton when he was in the Philippines. And, and you know, Jimmy's ministry was basically on the island of Penang. Uh, which is a lot island that you have to fly to. It takes probably 45 minutes or an hour from Manila to get there. Well, Jimmy was in Manila. And uh, um, during that time period, a lot of his exchange, when he exchanged money, he would do it on the black market because he'd get a much better um, return on it. And so, you know, he'd go over with, you know, American dollars and then he'd go to the black market which wasn't always in the nicest places you know and by the time he'd leave there he would leave uh, with uh, a briefcase and oftentimes a shoe box and some other things full of money you know and uh, <clears throat> and so anyway one of these trips Jimmy was in Manila and he was walking down uh, one of the alleys is probably heading someplace to where the black market was, because it wasn't on Main Street. And he was walking along, and all of a sudden, there was this lady of the night. And I know you're also innocent. You probably don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But this lady of the night stepped out of this doorway and began to proposition him. And Jimmy's saying, being the great man of faith and power that I am, you probably think I sat down on the curb and began to witness to her. He says, no, I turned and I ran just as quick as I could down the street. Now, the reason I love that story so much is I would have just loved to have a video of that. <laughs> Jimmy running from this prostitute. But the point is, because he had submitted to God, he had immediately recognized it for what it was because the thought that popped into his head, Mary's in Carriccio, uh, Calibo, Calibo uh, on the island of Panay. I don't know anybody around here. Nobody would know anything that's going on. And he recognized where that was coming from, and he had enough wisdom to know, I got to get out of here. And he got out of there. And <clears throat> what he was doing was he was resisting the devil. You know, we, we talk about there's a time to stand, but there's also a time to run. There's a time to recognize our limitations and, and split the scene and get to another place. Uh, but see, that's wisdom. And we get that wisdom by submitting to God, by yielding to Him. You know, otherwise we think that we can deal with things that we're not, we're not qualified to be able to deal with. And that's why our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is so important. That's why submitting 
ourselves to the Lord is so important because it's in doing so that it equips us and prepares us to be able to resist the attack of the enemy. You know, I think oftentimes as Christians, we, we have a understanding of the fact that we have authority to resist the devil and he has to flee from us. But the problem is oftentimes we haven't equipped or prepared ourselves for when that encounter takes place because we haven't submitted ourselves. And so that temptation comes. <clears throat> Do you realize that the very nature of a temptation is that it's tempting? Wow, this is really deep tonight, Pat. Yeah, I know it is. But see, that's why it's a temptation. You know, so all of us, we don't, we don't necessarily have the same temptations that come our way. But you know what? It's through our submission to God that we begin to recognize the temptations that come, that come against us. And it's important for us to recognize this because I believe that one of the most dangerous places that we can ever be as a Christian is think that we've overcome in and of ourselves, that we don't have to worry about anything coming against us because we can handle it. To me, that's a dangerous place. Because that, that says, I think I can handle things. But see, when we are submitted to God, we realize the only reason that we can overcome is because of Him, our faith and our trust in Him. And He's the one that reveals to us there are, there are areas and there, are, there is His wisdom that gives us the avenues of escape. Because when the temptation comes, there, there's always an avenue of escape. You know, the Bible says that we'll never be tempted beyond what we can handle. That's Schroeder's loose paraphrase, but it's there. And, and sometimes we look at things and, and we think, wow, that, you know, that, that scripture passage isn't true in my life because I'm not sure I can handle this. Well, the reason that we can't handle it all oftentimes is because we haven't submitted, therefore, to God and received the wisdom that he'll give us, that will give us that avenue of escape. Oftentimes, the wisdom that God gives us isn't so that we can sit in the midst of the problem and deal with it, but he gives us the avenue, the way that we can get away from it. And so Jesus is the one that gave us authority. It's his authority. In, in Luke, the ninth chapter, you have it in your notes, the first verse. It said that he called his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Gave them power and authority over all demons. All demons. And it's important for us to recognize that, that he's given us power and authority over all demons. Not that there's a certain difficult bunch that we can handle. Uh, we, we can handle them. You know, <clears throat> you remember the, the, the story of Jesus. He had just come off the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples, with um, Peter, James, and John. 
And uh, he'd come down off the mountain and they, they, they met him. And there was this, this father that was there. This, this father comes to Jesus and he pleads with Jesus and he says, you know, help my son. You know, because there was this demon, probably of epilepsy, that would manifest in this boy's life and it had thrown him into water, thrown him into fire. And he, he says to Jesus, you know, asking him for help. And he, he, he said, I, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't, they couldn't help him. And Jesus, oh, ye a little faith. And he said, bring him here. And so they brought the boy, and as they're on the way, um, he, he goes into a convulsion, and I don't think I'm getting the order totally right here, but uh, anyway, he, he says to the Father, if you believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. The Father says, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And basically he was saying, I, I believe in my heart that you can do this, but, you know, my head... You know, and that's what we all struggle with. You know, we, we see the truth in the Word of God. We see that by the stripes of Jesus we've been healed. We see we can cast out demons. We see that he'll supply our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And we believe it in our heart. But every time we encounter it, our head begins to tell us something different. It begins to look at the circumstances and and. Uh, wants to agree with the circumstances that it's an absolute impossibility. And that's where we have to use the authority. We have to take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ and demand that our thinking line up with our heart rather than the other way around. And so Jesus, you know, spoke over the boy and is completely healed. And, and so then later on, as the disciples have him by himself, Jesus alone, they say to, they say to Jesus, you know, why, why, couldn't, why couldn't we take care of this? And, um, and again, Jesus said because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. But then he said something very interesting, which I believe throughout the age of the church, by and large, has been misinterpreted. And what Jesus said was, this kind comes out by much prayer and fasting. Now, <clears throat> to understand what Jesus is saying there, we, we've got to understand the true nature and the true significance of prayer and fasting. Um, Prayer is not to move God because God has already moved. God has already done what he's going to do. Fasting is not a tool to try to get God to do something. You know, because if that's our motivation, then all we're doing is on a hunger strike. Because again, Jesus has done all that Jesus is going to do. What's prayer and fasting about then? It's about me. And so what Jesus is basically telling his disciples is the reason that you weren't able to deal with this demon is because you were in a place where you had the confidence, the assurance, the faith 
to be able to speak to it. Now they had enough faith because Jesus said to his disciples in, in, in Romans, or excuse me, in Mark, that if, you have, if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we'll say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea and shall not die in our hearts. But whatever we ask will come to pass. But notice, to move the mountain, you can't doubt. You have to believe. And so what he's saying to the disciples is the reason that you couldn't do it. Because, see, they were falling into the same snare, the same trap as the Father. They were looking at the circumstances. They were looking at the situation. How many of you are familiar with T.L. Osborne? You know, T.L. is one of our great generals of the faith. He's going, he's going home now, right? Yeah, he's going home to be with the Lord. But great man of, of faith and power. But you know, um, he, he, was, he was raised a Christian. He, uh, in his testimony, talks about how as a little boy, um, he got this little ink printing press where you could stamp things. And, and it was during the Depression and so forth and during poverty time. And, and so he'd go around and he'd find any piece of paper that he could find. You know, he'd find gum wrappers, you know, that one side was clear. And he'd make tracks of them. And so then he'd go out and he'd, he'd give out these tracks. Till Osborne, to the very end of his ministry, was real big on printed material because that's basically how he began his ministry, by making these little, little tracks out of this little stamp, one, time, one track at a time. And, uh, but T.L. was raised in a church that didn't necessarily, they, well, they didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They believed in being born again. And so he, he was called to the mission field. And so he, he went to the mission field. And I forget exactly where his first venture was, but I think it was in Africa. And, and anyway, he, he gets up there and he preaches his message. And, and uh, he, he, he preaches a salvation message to these folk. And, uh, you know, and he, he holds up his Bible and he says, this Bible is truth. This Bible is the word of God. And he said, everybody in the congregation in the crowd is outside open air meeting, held up their black Qurans. And they said, no, this is the word of God. And he says, no, no, this Bible, this is the word of God. And they'd hold up their Quran and they'd say, no, no, this is the word of God. And he said, I came back to the United States with my tail dragging between my legs because I, I was defeated. I didn't win. They didn't win him to Jesus. Hardly any conversions at all. And so they came back and they're out on the East Coast, or West Coast rather. And I believe it was up in Seattle. His wife Daisy had gone to a meeting up there and she came back from that meeting and she said, uh, that meeting, what they had in that meeting, that's what we need. And so I went up to the next night and what it was, was the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues and the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so he studied and then he went back to the very same place where he had been before, a year or two later. And he began to preach to them. And he held up his Bible and he says, this Bible, this is the word of God. 
He said everybody in the crowd held up their Qurans and they said, this, this is the word of God. And he says, you know, the Bible says, Jesus said that as his disciples, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believes will be saved and he that does not believe will be condemned. It says these signs will follow those that believe in my name. They'll cast out devils. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll pray in other tongues. If they drink anything deadly, it shall not hurt them. And then later on it says that they went everywhere preaching the word with signs following. And so T.L. took that literally. And he says, no, this is the word of God and I'll prove it to you. And so he had an altar call and he says, anybody that has an ailment, come forward and I'll pray for you. The first one that came forward was an individual that was blind. And this was T.L.'s thought. Why couldn't it have been something easy? Why couldn't it have been the flu or something simple? Blindness? Well, the person came forward. T.L. claimed the word of God because he believed the word of God and didn't allow the doubt to enter in. And he prayed for that individual and the individual received his sight and was completely made whole. He said revival broke out. And if you read about T.L. Osborne, you'll find that T.L. had massive meetings of hundreds of thousands of people at a time. He probably, you know, Billy Graham had massive meetings. Thank God for Billy Graham. But T.L. probably preached over his lifetime to more people than live than, than Billy Graham because he'd go to these third world countries and he'd have crowds of hundreds of thousands of people that are just standing outside and the loudspeakers are just blaring. And, uh, but it, it began there because he believed the word of God. Now, how did he get to that place? He didn't get to that place by accident. He got to that place by prayer and fasting, by submitting to God. And that's what it's required in our lives that you know, no matter what goes on around us, that we're submitted to the Word of God, that, that it's going to come first place in our life. You know, <clears throat> what we believe in the Word of God is not dependent upon circumstances in our life. I don't believe in healing because I have seen people healed. I believe in healing because the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, we've been healed. We don't believe that we have authority to cast out devils because we've cast out a devil. We believe that we have authority to cast out devils because the Bible says that we will cast out devils in the name of Jesus. We don't believe that we have authority to resist the devil because of our experience in resisting the devil. We believe that we have authority to resist the devil because the Bible says... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I love the terminology there, because it doesn't say he might. It doesn't imply in any way, shape, and form that he has a choice. He will flee from you, and he'll flee from me. This word resist means to actively fight against 
resistance is active. And so <clears throat> resistance requires something on our part. You know, it might be putting up our hand and saying, halt, devil, <laughs> no further. This is, this is the line. But you know, resistance implies an action on our part. It may be that we quote what the Word of God says. We declare what the Word says in our life. We speak it out loud to the circumstance, the situation in our life. But resistance, to actively fight against. You know, <clears throat> you'll never fight against an adversary if you don't realize you have an adversary. If, you don't, if we don't realize that there's a thief out to steal, kill, and destroy, We'll never position ourselves to resist that one that's out to steal, kill, and destroy in our life. But even with that, you know, it tells us how Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And much of that resisting is recognizing what Jesus has truly done for us. And so we resist the enemy. You know, <clears throat> he's a bully. He tries to bully us. He tries to force his way in on us. You know, you can always tell the source of something. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He'll, he'll, never, he'll never make you do anything. I was watching a video today and uh, it was from camp meeting, Brother Hagen, 1996. And uh, it, was, it was right during the time where there was a lot of uh, manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Um, there was, in, in the services, there would be laughter and, and people would get so full of the Holy Ghost, they didn't know what to do, and they'd take off running around the building. Um, there was dancing. Um, brought back a lot of really wonderful memories. And, uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm watching this, and Brother Hagen is talking, and he's talking about dancing. He's talking about how, you know, he was raised a Baptist boy, and, and, uh, uh, how he began to uh, get around Pentecostal folk and he actually took over a Pentecostal church and he had no problem with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues because he had received it and had no problems with the laughter and some of those things. And, you know, but, but the one thing that he, he, he realized, he, he said he would never do is he would never, he'd never dance in church. That was just something he was, you know, never going to do. It'd take, you'd totally take the Holy Ghost to make him do it. And he says, you know, it took him seven years. But he said in seven years, after seven, all at once, he was in a meeting and this, this lady, this older lady, he said she was probably in her 80s, shared her testimony. And uh, she walked off the platform and all of a sudden she just took off dancing. And he says, you know, I decided 
that what she was doing, I want to do it. And he says, I, I, I said I wouldn't do it because people do it in the flesh. And he says, well, the problem is, is you've got to start in the flesh to get into the spirit. You know, I don't, I don't know about you when you first prayed in tongues, you know, but uh, uh, I was laying there in my bed after being baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I said, Father, you know, now that I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost, I'm just going to begin to pray in other tongues. And so I just opened my mouth and allowed words to come out. And I've been shunned dying ever since. But you know what? I had to do something. I had to open my physical mouth before it began to manifest. And so Brother Hagin said, I decided I was going to get into that. So he said he, he jumped off the platform. And he says, when I jumped, I was in the flesh. But by the time I hit the floor, I was in the spirit. And he danced all over the place. Now what's that got to do with anything that we're talking about tonight? It's got everything to do with it. You know, because we've got to realize that we are a spirit being. But you know what? <clears throat> if something attacks us, we have to start out in the flesh to speak to it. Well, I don't feel spiritual enough to do it. Well, <clears throat> how do you feel when you're spiritual enough? What it's based on is the fact that I believe it in the Word of God, and because I believe it in the Word of God, I'm going to speak it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to act upon it, whatever that thing may be. And as a result of that, what happens is we in, in empower the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. You know, a, a police officer does not have enough power in his physical body to stop a truck that's coming down the highway. But you know, if he gives it enough time to stop, he can hold up his arm and he can show his badge, and that truck will come to a halt. Why? Because of the authority. Because of the authority. But you know what? He had to do it in the flesh. But it's the same way when we're dealing with the things of the enemy. We've got to recognize that we have the authority and we need to use it. You know what? <clears throat> we're not going to stop him by saying, oh devil, please, please, please. Don't bother me anymore. You know, again, you've heard my little story of Brother Hagen. You know how uh, after one of his meetings, one of this individual came up to him and he says, Oh, Brother Hagen, Brother Hagen, I want you to pray for me. And Brother Hagen says, Well, what do you want me to pray? He says, Well, I want you to pray that the devil won't bother me anymore. And Brother Hagen says, Oh, you want me to pray that you die? And he says, No, I don't want to die. And he says, well, that's the only way the devil isn't going to bother you anymore. And what's the point of that? The point of that is for us to realize that as long as we live on this earth, we have an adversary that's out there that wants to discourage us, that wants to harm us, that wants to keep us from reaching our full potential. And why does he want to do that? Because if we reach the full potential that we have in Christ Jesus we're going to be effective in the ministry of Christ. We're going to be effective in our community. We're going to be effective in everything that we do. Here's a verse that oftentimes brings a lot of uh, confusion to people. 
It's Matthew eleven twelve, and it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You know, <clears throat> do you ever get angry when junk begins to happen in your life? You know, one of the things that has always amazed me, you know, and <clears throat> I, don't, I don't claim to be very spiritual, but, you know, I can't ever remember being mad at God. From the time that that I've been born again, I can't, I can't, maybe there was a time, but I can't recall a time where I've been mad at God. And we went through, we've gone through difficult times. But I've never, I've never been mad at him because in my, in my personal studies, I've always seen him as a good God. Sometimes I, he was, I didn't understand him correctly because I also saw God as a, as a judge, but I also saw his judgments as being justified because of my shortcomings and so forth. That's why I was set free from that when I realized that through the blood of Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven past, present, and future, that God is no longer mad at me, that I've been judged and I've been declared innocent. And so God isn't waiting for me to mess up anymore. But I hear people all the time, when, when something happens in their life, um, they begin to talk about how they're mad at God. Why are they mad at God? They're mad at God because, number one, they've got the wrong image of God. And one of the reasons why they have a wrong image of God is that they don't realize that they have an adversary known as the devil who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And so this, this has happened even within much of the church today that God is given credit for destructive things that take place in the world, that take place in our lives, that God has absolutely nothing to do with it. It was predestined to happen. I believe in predestination. I believe that every man, woman, and child that is on the face of the earth was predestined to be saved. Predestined to have favor with God. But individuals have chosen to not yield to God. Therefore, God's plan and purpose has never been accomplished in their life. You know, why, 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 do we, why, do we, why do we go to the prisons? I mean, that's the mass of society that everybody ought to give up on because they've already demonstrated their true colors. No, they've demonstrated what listening to a liar will do to you. It'll convince you that you can't achieve, that you can't succeed. But see... You take the, the worst individual that you can think of. God had a plan and a purpose for that individual. And because they listened to the lie of the devil, they, they lost sight of what God really intended for their life to be. And you see, that's, 
That's true of us. That's, none of us have arrived yet. But the thing that we need to recognize is that God has a plan and a purpose for us, and that plan and purpose is always for good. It's never for evil. And it's not only for good for my life, it's good for the lives of everybody that I come in contact with. And so we're to be a blessing. And so we need to recognize that, what does it mean, the violent take it by force? You know what? I'm not going to settle for anything less than the best of what God has made available for me. And I'm going to put effort into that. And part of that effort means that I've got to resist the enemy. I've got to resist the temptation to doubt that God can do what God says he can do. So it's taking the word of God at face value and truly believing it. In your notes, I've got this written there, but we've really already covered that. You know, that it's a two-sided coin. One side is submitting to God, the other side is resisting the devil. And the reason that it's a two-sided coin is that we have to be prepared to do both. Yes, it begins by submitting to God. But even though we're, we're submitted to God, we still have to recognize we've got to resist the enemy so that he flees from us. I think the difficult part is when we spend all of our time trying to resist the enemy, but we're not building ourselves up, we're not building up our confidence in what God has already done for us. And so it is a two-sided coin. We need to be recognizing and practicing both of those elements of submitting to him. In Mark, the first chapter, the 25th verse, Jesus encountered a, a man that had a demon. And it says that Jesus rebuked him and told him to be quiet and come out of him. And you know what it did? It was quiet and it came out of him. We need to recognize the authority that we have. You know, I, I look at this world that we live in and I'm more convinced than I ever have been in my life that so much of what we see going on around us is, is demonically inspired. And because it is, we've got to be in a position where we can, we can resist it and keep it from our life. Some of the stuff that we see in the news anymore is just, um, it's mind-boggling. Just, just absolutely mind-boggling that, that we have regressed to this point in life. You know, people talk about evolution. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the opposite, I, I mean, I know people say creation, I don't mean that, but I, I'm talking about the opposite of the process of evolution, of going the other direction. You know, I, I think, you know, some of the stuff that they find that they attribute to evolution is de-illusion. <laughs> 
<laughs> what, what is it, Jody? You're the English. You go the other way. You know, look at before the flood. What did it say before the flood? It said, but, but for Noah and his household, the knowledge of God was lost from the earth. And so what that tells me is that people of those generations became more and more <coughs> perverted. You know, just constant and and I believe that there's a a regression that begins to take place. I mean all that we have to do is look at people that have you know gone the way of meth or they've allowed some other addiction to get a hold of them. What happens to those individuals they they deteriorate to the point that they don't even look like the same human being and sometimes they can regress to the point that they they hardly even look like a human being any longer and see that's what I that's what I see within our society today it may not be appearance yet at this point but in the minds of man the minds of men have become so evil and so perverted uh, I believe that that's what we see taking place if, if it's evolution <clears throat> If, if, if it's evolution, evolution should have never ceased. It should still be in its process today. And so we should be as a um, human society evolving to a greater individual. Now I know some people have in their minds, but it's all in their head. You know, but we ought to be physically and in every other way evolving. But we're not. Why? Because we were created. But I believe what happens is when we move away from the creation, as Jody said, rather than going from glory to glory to glory, we go from evil to evil to evil to evil. And I think, I think we see much of that in our society today. You know, and so much of the root of it is because we've lost sight of God. We've lost the value of a human being. Why are we valuable? Why, why are we of more value than a, any other, any animal that's out there? I'll use a dog. Why are we of more value than dogs? It'll, we'll get all kinds of nasty remarks on this one because, you know, half of our society thinks dogs are just as valuable as human beings. I won't get into this because I've offended people too often in the past when I've told them that their dog isn't going to be waiting for them in heaven. And people don't want to hear that, but <clears throat> because they don't have a spirit. So why are we of more value than all the other creatures that are on the earth? Because we've been created in the image of God. We're not created a little bit lower. Sorry, Donna, she, it's not going to, he's not going to be there for you. Okay. Won't have to clean up any poop when you get to heaven. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> you know, but, but, but why? We're, we're created in the, in the image of God. We're created just a little lower than God. We're, we're in his image. You know, you, you begin to share that and people get ticked off because, 
you know, in one of the translations, it says that we've been created a little lower than the angels. No, the word there is Elohim. That's, that's a word for God. We've been created a little lower than God. It tells us the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost got together and they chose to created us, create us in His image. And that's why we're created spirit, soul, and body. Because we're created in the image of God. Why are we valuable? Because of what we do? No, because of who we are. We are the children. We are the creation of God. We've been created in His image. And so why are those babies in the womb so important? Because God created the reproduction. And God says that while that baby is yet in a womb, while we're yet in the womb, God knew us. Wow. Think about that. John the Baptist, while he was in his mother's womb, because the mother of Jesus, Mary, while Jesus was yet in the room, womb, because they came into the presence of one another, John the Baptist, while he was still in the womb, was baptized, was filled with the Holy Ghost and did a Holy Ghost flip right in his mama's belly. That must have been pretty. <laughs> but that's how important we are. And why, why could that be done? Because he knew him. You know, I, I believe we're born knowing God. Isn't it interesting when you talk to kids? You don't have to talk kids into believing in God. It's just, it's just there. They have to be untaught. It's there. You know, yes, for every child, there comes a point when they reach accountability that they have to choose for themselves that they're going to go on with their life and they're going to serve God. But you know, for raising a household where God is the center of our household and, and we're, they, they, they grew up knowing it. You know, I, I remember years back, this is when I was at COC, when they'd have a fifth Sunday, the, the high school class would take over the, the class and, or the, uh, the, would take the Sunday morning service and they'd do the music and one of them would preach a little message and they'd share testimonies and and Christian Outreach School of Ministries was basically founded by missionaries. Bob Heil, who was the founder, wasn't a missionary. He was a pastor, but most of the instructors had come off the mission field. And uh, <clears throat> as Bob Heil put it, you know, the reason he got asked to leave the denomination was when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues, he got the left foot of fellowship. In other words, he got booted out. And most of these missionaries on the mission field, isn't it ironic on the mission field, you, you find a need for the Holy Ghost real quick. And so most of these people, uh, instructors were from the mission field. Well, this one family, uh, they had a son that was a teenager, and so he was going to share his testimony that day. And he gets up, and uh, he begins to share, and he says, you know, <clears throat> I, I just want to apologize. You know, I mean, he's, he's being serious. 
He says, I just want to apologize because I really don't, I really don't have much of a testimony. He says, I was born when my parents were on the mission field. I forget which country they were in. And he said, you know, I grew up on the mission field. Uh, and so all that I've known my entire life is trusting in Jesus. I've, I've never known anything else. And he says, I can't really even stand before you this morning and tell you exactly when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because I can't remember ever not knowing him. And we all sat there and thought, oh, you poor thing, you. No, 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 that was not what we were thinking at all. We were thinking, oh, to have that be my testimony that I have just never knowing anything other than having a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's available to us. You know, us in this room, probably all of us, went through that stage. I mean, I, I remember knowing Jesus as a child. I remember getting into my teen years and learning how to cuss and smoke behind the bus barn, you know, that kind of stuff, and then going home at night and laying in bed and crying myself to sleep because I knew that I'd hurt the heart of God. I don't know how I knew I hurt the heart of God. I just knew that I had. But then the pull of the world got greater than the things of God and, you know, went to church, but my relationship was nowhere. But then, thank God, at the age of 24, I was introduced to Jesus Christ and received him as my personal Lord and Savior. And I'd venture to guess most of us in this room went through that, through that same process. But just think how wonderful it is for our children, especially when we have littler ones, that they get to grow up in that house of security, knowing that testifying and declaring Jesus as their Lord isn't a thing to be ashamed of, but it's a thing to be proud of and not to be discouraged in it, but to be encouraged in it. And... Uh, that's what our world is supposed to be. You know, our Christian faith isn't supposed to start over with every generation. It's to be passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. And you know, I really believe that if we had done that for the last 2,000 years, we'd be out of here right now and we wouldn't have to be messing with this mess. You know, we'd be halfway through the millennial reign and, and ready to really wrap things up. But anyway, I guess I wandered a little tonight, but that just happens when you're a wanderer. I'm a wanderer. I roam around, 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 around. Okay, we're done. Be blessed in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming out tonight. Be blessed. Tomorrow's going to be a pretty day.